Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This podcast may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction titled The Things We Deserve by today's guest fanfiction writer, Viraja. He makes it to his room eventually. It's a small rectangular thing made out of the same wide wooden beams and pale plaster walls the rest of the cabin is constructed from. Two beds occupy two walls, and Hux knows his to be the one under the window, only because the other already looks slept in, and the fact that Poe's leather bomber is draped over the foot, like it always belonged there. They're sharing a room. Of course they're sharing a fucking room. Hux drops down onto his mattress, drops his head into his hands. His leg aches, and his head hurts, and his heart won't stop racing. And all he can think about is if Poe's mouth tastes like cookie dough or the mint of his toothpaste. The little voice in the back of his head, the same one that had emerged sometime after Starkiller Base, but before he turned spy, points out that this is what he had hoped for. And Huck shoves the thought away because hope has never served him before and he doesn't expect it to start now. Suddenly, Hux is exhausted. The jump from Corazon had been long, the cab ride uncomfortable, and now all Hux wants is a nap and maybe a warm shower. But the bed is closer than the fresher, and Hux doesn't think anyone will notice, let alone care, if he disappears for a little while. There is a draft coming through the window. It hangs lazy over Hux's body, spilling across the bed with a cold weight where Hux has curled up. He welcomes the shivers it inspires, because this time, they make sense. And he lets the cold sink in, lets it numb his nerves alongside his mind, as his eyes drift shut over the vision of Poe's jacket, sprawled lazy over his thoughts, like it had always belonged there. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Today's guest fanfiction writer is Viraja. She has been a member of AO3 since 2012, and under this screen name at least, has 19 fanfictions posted for fandoms like Final Fantasy, Baldur's Gate, Coldfire Trilogy, and Star Wars, she has also just sold her first original novel. Hell yes, and congratulations, Viraja. Welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How you doing? Hello, I'm good. I am very excited to be here. I am so excited for you to be here, too. So thank you so much, first of all, for taking the time out of your day to uh, come and talk to us about all things fanfiction. Um, we are covering a pairing today uh, that we have never talked about before. I'm super excited about that. But of course, let's back up here just a bit because I always want to know how in the world did you first discover fan fiction? I have to know. 
Oh my God. It's such, I don't even know if I honestly remember because I've been in fandom since before it was probably a healthy age. Like, I think I discovered Sailor Moon smut when I was like 11, 10. I don't know. It was like, I got the internet and immediately found the porn. Nice. And of course, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of defined my life. (laughs) So basically what you're saying is that you and I are the same because that's kind of what happened to me too. (laughs) I mean, it was, I'm fine. I turned out great. I have no complaints, but (laughs) the rest of the world is kind of, you know, suffered along with me as I've (laughs) put really trash shit out there. And then finally, I think under Viraja, like, Everything I've posted under that username, I'm proud of. (laughs) But there's some things if you go look in where you're like, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, I went looking. All right. And I was pleased. I was so pleased. So don't apologize. (laughs) Yeah. So Sailor Mood was like my first like obsession. And all I think I was really I found the porn and it was like lovely. But then I got really involved in like people making their own like sailor scout stuff to the point where there's i remember this one creator it was so good at art that it looked exactly like the stuff from the animation i just assumed it was real and it just was stuff in japan that hadn't made it to the united states yet and all her like fans and she were real no they weren't (laughs) i felt like really gaslit when i got older i'm like wait none of that was real oh my god no but some people are so talented though right they are yeah and even this was like back in the late 90s so like she was doing digital art before like i think even like people you know it's prolific now everyone does digital art but this was like before the rise of it yeah so like she was on the cutting edge and i still think about that stuff to this day because it was so compelling and so i think like seeing other people's creations, just the incredible stuff other people were doing. It's like, how do you not want to become a part of that? So you start contributing at a young age when your stuff is trash and you grow. So that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. (laughs) (laughs) So if you were reading fan fiction in the late 90s, this would have been the era of shine sites and like those early archives that people were running on their own and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, it was totally that. Like, I don't know how <laughs> that was the way you found stuff. You had to just click on the next or the random or whatever and and you would land somewhere new. I mean, that Google or I don't think Google didn't even exist. It was like you had like AOL search yeah. or like Ask Jeeves or something. Yep. I don't even Ask Jeeves. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely the AOL search. I utilize that to find uh, fan fiction after I discovered what it was. Yeah. But yeah, you just kind of ended up on all of these crazy shine sites. And that's what you did, which is hilarious because I, I love telling people like, hey, back then. You were lucky if you got a link and then a little bit of a description of what the story was, if there was one, because a lot of times there wasn't. It was just (laughs) the title of the fan fiction. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You knew who was going to fuck at least. So that was like a leg up. (laughs) Yeah, if they were nice, they would at least tell you like, oh, there's (laughs) porn in this. But that was back in the day, remember, when they were rating these things with movie rating systems? <laughs> so it was like NC-17. And I, oh, man, yeah. I looked for those everywhere. Oh. Yeah, lemon and limes. <laughs> I, like, I would get upset. I wanted the hardcore lemons and like 
I would get mad when it was just a lime. Or they would call it a lemon and it was really a lime. And I was like, no, I need to, I need the sex. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then the giant days. purge in, like, early 2000s and, like, all the porn was taken down. Oh, my God. We lost so much. When you posted your first piece of fanfiction, because it sounds like you were kind of young when you did that for the first time, was that on fanfiction.net or was that somewhere else? I think it was on one of my personal sites, and then I moved everything on the fanfiction.net. I was, like, on fanfiction.net within the first few months that it opened. It was, like, I think I was, like, one of the first, like, 2,000 or something users, something crazy like that. It was it was a very quick move. But, like, once fanfiction.net came about, I feel like the like the archive sites existed still, but everyone moved over there. And so when they purged all their porn, we really like lost a ginormous chunk of it because everyone had moved over there because it was so easy to use and like user friendly. And the fact that like you could find and sort, you know, your pairings and everything, it was like the first of its kind where you could do that. And like, yeah, it was wasn't very safe for everyone. Right, right. It wasn't. It, I'm with you, though. I understand why it was so appealing. Because for the readers, it's a lot easier for us to find what we need and what we're looking for. And for the and writers. The commenting. Like, oh, yes, yeah. plus the commenting. And it would only take you minutes to upload a story. Whereas if it was your own personal shrine site, you know, you had to HTML that shit onto your own site. Or with these archives, some of these archives had like these crazy submission processes and stuff, and it would take a while for your story to get posted. I mean, it was just this thing. So I can understand the appeal of like the automatic upload and and all of that. But you're right. You're right that we didn't own the servers and they could just decide whenever they wanted that they could take stuff off. And they did. (laughs) And they did. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we all kind of went over to LJ after that. And so I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sure you remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and then they did the same thing. So. Yes, yes, we were just kicked out of our homes everywhere we went. It was terrible. Nobody wants us. No, and now everybody wants us. Yeah, well, now exactly. Fanfic is like the fandom. People finally recognize how important it is to franchises, and like, you know, we're like the backbone of them making money because we're obsessed with our characters. But isn't that funny though? And let's go there for just a second, because you remember, like I do, because you were you were there. I remember back in the day, this vitriolic fear by the corporations, by writers, by lots of different like places, right? The fear that they had with fan fiction writers and the fear that we had as fan fiction people, because we just assumed that we could be sued at any time. And honestly, like we witnessed many times people getting those cease and desist letters, people getting sued, you know, having attorneys visit them <laughs> at their homes oh, yeah. and things like that. So it was this really weird thing where we were like still sort of forced underground for the most part oh, with yeah. our fandom activities because nobody wanted legal action taken against us and legal action happened. It did. All the time. And then you you look at it now. And now, like, exactly like you said, the corporations have recognized that, like, they need us to keep their franchises going. We're the ones who hype it. We're the ones who are talking about it. So it's just so interesting to me, that 180. Has that been weird for you to see as well? I mean, yeah, it's, there's like a part of me that's like, 
ex- like I'm obviously I'm glad that the shift has happened, but like I think a part of me will always have that fear inside me that like what I'm doing or not fear, but like the shame of it because it was a shameful feeling that they made you feel too. It's like not only did you feel like you were doing something legally wrong, but you're also just like frowned upon for the fact that this was like what you were putting your energy and your creative time into it was like childish and everything it was like this combination this double whammy of the legal repercussions but also just feeling like lesser than as a creator for writing fanfic or drawing fan art or whatever it was well yeah and that's a legitimate point because you know if you can't get them legally you can try to get them with psychological attacks tell them that they should be ashamed for what they're doing tell them that yeah. you know this type of art really isn't art and it's like derivative and it's like stupid and blah 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 blah. you know and it, it, it makes me so sad that it was in some ways way more successful <laughs> as a campaign than the legal stuff right because the legal stuff didn't sure. stop us but the shame sure did for a lot of people yep and i i can't tell you how many fandoms i got into based off the fanfic and like fan art I never played the source material until after. So like literally fan creators were doing the marketing department's job for them. Like they were getting people into these, you know, what you call it, uh, intellectual properties that otherwise I wouldn't have known about, let alone had any kind of like interest in. It was literally because of the fanfic and the fan art. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I say all the time that most franchises, I would probably not continually think about them if it was not for fan fiction. You know, like fan fiction keeps my interest in things, right? Yeah. Without fan fiction and the contribution of fan fiction writers, I would just not care so much <laughs> about the original content. You're absolutely <laughs> you right. Know? You know, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they they know that now. And I love that they know that. And I love that it's no longer this like horrible psychological campaign of shame against fan fiction writers like it was. Of course, there's still like, you know, ding dongs out there who still want to say stuff and whatever, whatever. But at least it's (laughs) not like this concerted effort, you know, because um, because I can tell you when I talk to people in our generation, I know who I'm talking to. I can guess someone's age sometimes in fandom by hearing the way that they talk about fandom our trauma. and fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> our traumas are Yes, <laughs> because we remember the shame. I can't tell you how many people our age range, our age group have come forward to me in private and just been like, I still feel that shame, you know, <laughs> like I still feel that I still remember that. And it makes me so sad because it's like, man. It's been like 26 years, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's been a long time. And some of us are still like struggling with that. And that's just sad to me. But, um, but you know, that's why we're here on the show talking about it because uh, it's a new day. Cringe is dead and we don't have to feel ashamed anymore, which I love that. I absolutely love that. And I actually want to return to that a little bit and talk about that more towards the end of the show because we are not getting out of here without talking about your original <laughs> novel so don't think you're escaping okay. from me on that but yeah so we'll return to that but um for now I'm kind of wondering like it sounds like you've been in fandom a long time like I have I'm kind of wondering like do you have a favorite fandom memory that you'd like to share oh oh man honestly the best I've been really isolated, like as a creator, like up until joining Ginger Pilot. So 
honestly, my best memories involved in fandom probably are really recent because I just had such a incredible reception to the stories I started putting out in Ginger Pilot that like if you scroll through the comments on a lot of my stories, people are just writing like thousand word essays about like how my stories have impacted or, or affected them or like the way I handle a certain aspect of a character and a story just like hits home for certain people and seeing that happen, just connecting to readers in a way that I know I actually had like a positive or meaningful impact on them has been that's really been the best feeling for me so far. Like just having interactions with readers is incredible, but then I just felt like a lot of these stories I've written have touched them like one step further than that. So that's been really amazing to see, I guess. Yes, the ability to be able to connect with people in your community over something that you love to do anyway. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that doesn't surprise me at all that that would be one of your favorite fandom memories, just being able to connect with somebody and to know that you like had an effect on them. Um, it's one of my favorite things about fan fiction, right? There's lots of different things that are amazing about fan fiction, and I could wax poetic about it for like a thousand years. But for you personally, what are some things that you think you love best about fan fiction as a general concept? <laughs> All the porn. Yes. <laughs> Can I say that lovingly? Yes. It's true, though. Because, <laughs> I mean, as a person who like doesn't really connect, like, I'm queer, so like never get to see my love stories on the big screen. It just doesn't happen. And it's getting better now. Like recently, last, you know, maybe I can't even say in years, but we're seeing more and more of our stories told. But for the longest time, it was just nothing. It was a desert. So I just, fandom has given people a opportunity to, even if someone isn't queer, we can find a reason to make them queer. <laughs> and then we get our love story. We get our stories told. And that's been, that was probably one of the biggest reasons I stayed in fandom. Because like, I think when I started, I didn't know anything about myself. And then through fandom, I was able to actually do a lot of self-discovery in that respect. Like, I grew up, if we're the same age, you know, growing up, you couldn't be gay, you couldn't be a lesbian, you couldn't be queer. It was not okay. But then, so like, the opportunity to even explore that side of yourself, rarely, rarely presented itself. And then when it did, it was such a huge struggle that you couldn't, like, you would try to keep it private, but it it, it wasn't possible for a lot of people. And you would get outed and it would be like violent or traumatizing. So like, I feel like I went through a lot of that journey through fanfic, which is wild because it's like this one-sided like experience that I have where I don't think I realized I was queer. I was dating, you know, I date men and and had been had some boyfriends and stuff, but like it would never I never connected to them at an emotional level, but like I would find the emotional fulfillment through fanfic that I was looking for and never got in a relationship and it's kind of just finally as an adult I didn't even come out to my parents I don't think until it was like this year and like it was one of those conversations where my family's like oh yeah we knew and I'm like well 
<laughs> You're like, <Yeah>. really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so it's like, I feel like it, my shadow life, like my real self was always kind of tied up in my experience with fandom and I could be who I wanted to be. Like even like the online persona that you took, the authors, like the the author persona or that I was an artist too. I think I um I probably contributed more to fandom through my art than my writing for a while because I was going to school for illustration and stuff like that. I figured was my creative future. But um yeah, it was like I could be who I wanted to be online. And I think that's that way for a lot of people. And the kind of marriage of that with with fanfic is my journey of self-discovery essentially it all happened on the internet what does that say about me I don't want to know no but you know what I feel like that's such a again that's such a generational thing if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me like yeah fan fiction and fandom helped me discover who I am Again, I hear that a lot more from people our age, I think, because you're you're right. In high school, we didn't talk about stuff having to do with like queer identity. That was not a thing that was discussed. That was not a thing that you chatted about with your friends. I didn't know anybody in high school who was out. No. It was just a thing that nobody talked about. So when I talk to people about how it was back then, I like to say that we did not have the language to explore ourselves in some senses because the language just wasn't there. I hear that. Yes. I know that for me, I didn't even know how to describe what was going on with me, you know, because I yeah. didn't have the language for it. But when I started going into online spaces and reading these fan fictions that were written by other people, these people gave me the language. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's why I think so many of us in our generation have that story of I discovered myself through <laughs> fan fiction, through things that other people wrote and posted that I got to read because that was the first time that so many of us r received the language that we needed to finally understand what was going on with ourselves. You're so right. You're so right. That's why it's like segue into like more modern because we grew up with fandom and I feel like it was a this experience that you're describing that I'm describing was like really amazing and just the the wild west of fandom like anything went and like the wilder and stranger and weirder like the better and I think we're seeing like a shift back towards like the opposite now with like I don't want to bring up like discourse but like the pro shippers versus you know everybody else and like I feel like the obviously I'm a pro shipper because it's like no you just you just need to let people do what they want to do in fandom because like that was how I was able to have that journey just by people breaking the rules and and you know going against social norms and just writing the problematic stuff it's like if you if you're not allowed to do that in in fandom then like what is the freaking point of it at all like yes yes you know what it reminds me of a little bit um, I don't know if you ever did this when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, I'd play outside and sometimes I would like create a secret fort, you know, because it was fun. It almost felt like fandom back then was the secret fort. And it was the special place where all of the weird people went, right? And we were like very secretive about it. <laughs> you had to have the secret password to get in and stuff. And I feel like the fort has become 
more of a mainstream thing as more people understand what fan fiction is and more people are growing up with it as just this normalized thing, which is good. I think that's a good thing. However, when you have like the normalization for something that used to be this like catch-all place for weird people, I don't know. It almost feels like somebody coming in and like like kicking down the door of the fort and being like, why are all of you weirdos in here doing weird things? Like, yeah. You know, yeah. we were always here. What are you talking about? Like, we were always here doing weird things. Like, what are you doing here? Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. It's like, and God, it's, it was our safe space. And like, I hate, I think mean, I don't hate using that terminology because that's, that's how it was. It was like fandom was a safe space. And now it feels not unsafe, but like, you really have to mindfully protect it and it takes a lot more energy to protect it and i'm like willing to go to like you know i'm willing to protect it absolutely because it is so meaningful to me but like i'm also a little resentful of the fact that i have to protect it because it shouldn't be i want other people to have that experience that that i had and someone coming in and trying to change that that world i'm like i'm so protective of it that it's it's difficult to to deal with but you know there's only so much you can do there's only so much control you you have over the interpretation of what fandom is and you know if people get driven out of i i'm i'm feel like i'm jumping to conclusions but you know archive of our own was created out of this basically they they were created to protect this whole mentality that anything goes not any like anything goes pretty much it's like as a creator you are this is a safe place for you to go post as problematic as content as you want because for the sake of you know our interpretation it's all make-believe it's all fiction it's all you know it's all valid and real and and protected here and but they're still volunteer-based organization they are subject to the voting and like I guess the uh, laws of democracy or whatever that they've set up in their bylaws and like if the you know mass opinion interpretation of AO3 is subject to the mainstream interpretation of fandom then you know we might see the changes as important as it is I think people from our generation to protect the AO3 as it exists nowadays. It's like, we only have so much control. So it's just something to think about. It's something I don't like to think about. But <laughs> here I am thinking about it. I'm going to drink more wine. Uh, yeah, please like, do. Let's please change do. the subject. Polishing off <laughs> my reds right now. Uh, the last <laughs> thing I'll say about that, though, is that I am so grateful every time that I see people from our generation and older people like the OG elders of fandom who are out there reminding people about the history of fandom and reminding people why it is so important the way that we have things set up the reasons why you know and I I, I guess I still just have a lot of faith that that most people once they really understand the history and the whys and the what's and everything um, I don't know I just have a lot of faith that if we keep talking about it especially in these open spaces like this that uh, that we can help people understand. I don't know. I just I, I see. I, I I absolutely have the same fears that you do, Faraja. But uh, I feel like uh, as long as we're out there and we're 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 still trying to like 
I don't know, educate maybe <laughs> the people who weren't there who don't remember. Yeah, remind people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Remind people we were there. We remember why these things are so important. I think that, uh, I don't know. I just have a good feeling about it. I just, I still have faith that, uh, <laughs> that we can make a difference with, uh, with how we talk about it and how we try to like, I don't know, help mentor some of the younger folks that, that come in and stuff. Um, because there's so many cool, young people out there who see things maybe our way a little bit. So I, I think that, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but you know. No, I'm with, I hear you. Y'all, y'all people understand what I'm trying to say. It's threads. Okay. I'm it's grateful threads, for your hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need a little bit of that some days. Some days are better than others. And some days again, Twitter or X or whatever the hell you want to call it. And you're like, oh, God, it's hopeless. Oh, God. Yeah, I stay away from that shit so hard. I can't even handle it most days. I quit like, no. all social media and then joined Twitter. And I'm like, what am I? I feel like I'm <laughs> not even a lateral move. Like, I've gone backwards. Yeah. yeah, X is one of those things where it's like, you want to feel bad about everything? Like, just go to, <laughs> go to Twitter. Yeah, no, I stay far away from that. Um, yeah, no, I don't blame you. But okay, so speaking of hope, though, speaking of hope, um, I want to hear all about <laughs> Ginger Pilot. Okay, for those who don't know, <laughs> I didn't know, right? Ginger Pilot is a Star Wars ship between Poe Dameron and Hux. Can't remember the full name there. Armitage Hux. There you go, Armitage Hux. Um, and when I heard this, I was like, Romeo and Juliet? Like, I think I've heard this story before. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I am just very unfamiliar with this ship, but it intrigues me so much because you do have this Romeo and Juliet sort of visage to it, I guess. And there's a villain involved here, which anyone who knows me knows that I love my villain characters with a passion. <laughs> so... The fact that this ship has a villain character in it, I'm so here for that. So um, my question here is, <laughs> how in the fucking world do these two even get together? And then what makes this pairing especially like unique and compelling? I just want to hear all about it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So hopefully this is a satisfying answer for anyone who's curious, but... Ginger Pilot was born basically out of one single scene in The Last Jedi when Poe Dameron, I think it's like the first scene of the movie, Poe Dameron is leading an attack on, I think it's the finalizer. I think it is the finalizer. And he's like, calms the bridge and Hux answers and he basically calls him General Hugs, which... <laughs> Where was I when this was happening? <laughs> and anyone at that point who's like a fan of Hux himself and has any sort of familiarity with his backstory, which you don't get a lot of in the movies at all. It's all in like the extended material is aware of his like extremely traumatic past like this kid since like childhood has just been a non-stop like trauma train i don't even know he's like it's so sad like his character is just really really abused just by like everybody in his life and every time he finds someone who's like not abusive they like die or something it's i can go into it anyway so like that like calling him general hugs because this guy just 
freaking needs a hug. He really does. <laughs> he would probably solve so many of his problems. So I think that was like probably for a lot of people, the scene that they ran with, like wow. that exchange. Just one scene where they're not yeah. even like looking at each other. No, they're, they're just talking just, to each other. Yeah. <laughs> but like then when you start like breaking it down, it's like they're both generals on opposite sides of the war. It's like you said, Romeo and Juliet. It's they're from these, you know, houses that have been fighting against one another for generations at this point. And they're just, you know, inheriting the mantle of like these families that they've been born into. They both lost their mothers at really young ages. They were both like children of war heroes. So you have like a lot of parallels when you break it down and character wise. But like Poe was nurtured and loved and like his mentor, Leia, has like kind of, you know, taken him under her wing and brought him to this place of like influence and, and power and like, you know, agency and then meanwhile hux has like been clawing his way through the first order without any sort of help whatsoever he's had like the opposite experiences his mentor in the uh, extended material which is all canon was ray sloan who i don't think ever made an appearance in anything but um she was one of the very few like female commanders in the empire yeah, and so, like, she took Hux under her wing when he was really little and kind of protected him from the abuse in any way that she could, but, and, like, you know, recognized how intelligent and capable he was and nurtured him, but then she disappeared. So she was only in his life for, I, I couldn't even say how long, because I'm not, I, as much as I know about Star Wars, there's so much I don't know. <laughs> so that timeline, I'm a little fuzzy on, but, like, I think he was like probably around seven or eight when they encountered one another. And and then he was probably like, you know, early teens when she disappeared. I think the story is she, she like went out. I might be making this up. So much of my knowledge is like canon. And then so much of it is based off fic. And like <laughs> the just general interpretation of like what the story probably was. Because like you got to fill in the blanks somehow. And I the know, fandom's right? really good at that. <laughs> and before you know it, you don't even remember like what's fic and what's fan and what's canon. Yes, and yes, it's like, it I all starts bleeding in. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And so I'll try my best to like <laughs> say what I'm not sure if this is Bannon or not. But I think she she went off into like the unknown regions on a mission and never returned. And I think the fan interpretation is that, as you know, maybe maybe not from the last movie, like the unknown regions was where Palpatine was hanging out for a while. So people assume that she got wind of like Palpatine's entire plan and was kind of off by pride or someone of that ilk who because she raceland's canon was she was like she was empire she was an empire commander general um admiral i think she was an admiral i want to sell her short because her character's so cool but she was not like fanatical crazy she was literally in it like she was militaristic and like strict but she had a plan and the plan was you know spread the empire because the empire can actually like you know do good for the world she like believed in the more i don't know what the word is but her interpretation of the empire was was genuinely benevolent so like hux's character and i will say ginger pilot for all it is 
I'm a Huck stan. Like, that's why I'm here. Like, I like, I love Poe. Like, Poe actually grew on me through writing Poe. He grew on me more. But, like, Hux is why I'm here. He's just, he's such a cool character because of, like, all of the stuff that they don't tell you in the movies. <laughs> he's, um, but, like, yeah, he he grew up under her mentorship. And so, like, you don't maybe exactly see it in the movies, but his interpretation of the First Order goes along those lines too so like he felt like he was doing the right thing and like he that's why he hated ren and like why he was always like i mean he was loyal to snoke but like you could tell that he he had his own interpretation of like what snoke's agenda was so like he hated kylo ren though because ren didn't care about the first order at all he was just there for his own reasons um yeah. <laughs> i guess which was <laughs> i still don't even know he's he was such a, a big yeah, baby <laughs> that was so unclear the whole entire time i was just like what the fuck is happening yeah. right now with this character um <laughs> that's so interesting though that like he would have that interpretation in his mind of what his side is all about because of his mentorship and how tragic that he only had her for a couple of years, right? And then had to live with that loss for the rest of his life. It's so sad. Like, and the, he, you'll see like Ray Sloan when you, when you know about her and then you go watch the movies and like Hux and Phasma are like, like if you saw me, I'd have my fingers like wrapped around each other. Like if you read the Phasma novel, which is like uh, Delilah Dawson wrote it and she, I asked her recently on Twitter, I'm like, can we get a Hux novel? And she's like, I've pitched it. And she hasn't gotten it approved yet. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> her handling of Phasma is like fantastic. And you get a little insight into like Hux and how like every single like in person who hasn't been abusive, the Hux has been a woman in his life, which is just so fascinating to me. He like he finds these strong women and he like attaches himself to them because like every single like his his canon is that his dad was abusive. I think the first time Huck saw battle, he was, it was like the battle for Jakku and he was like six years old or something. And he actually fought in that battle. Like they made him fight. And then general pride or whatever is, I think he's a general. Yeah. Um, pride from the third novel is like canonically one of Huck's childhood abusers. Oh, so, Jesus Christ. And he's also the guy that kills him. And so I was so mad at the end of that movie because, like, one of the meta things that I wrote about Hux was about how all the influential people in his life who had a positive influence on him have been, like, women. And how it's easy to interpret his character as, like, there's so few women in the Empire that he's basically a stand-in for, like, a woman. Like, he's he's a man, he's a male, but, like, he's always interpreted as weak and scared skinny and like you know he's really mindful of his appearance and like all these kind of qualities that you can attribute to females or women or whatever and how like basically the abuse that he suffers is all by the hands of men and like it's just a fascinating interpretation or like it's a fascinating facet of his characterization to explore because like I'm a woman, I've experienced like corporate America and how you literally have to become like this vicious rabid dog in that environment to make it like more so than your male counterparts. Like you have to be what they are and exponentially greater because 
you're starting at a deficit, basically. So what you have to embody, like, I, I just saw that in Hux in these movies. And I was like, ran with that. I, I was like, yes, I understand this character completely. And he's, I don't know, he's, but like, to then have him in that last movie be killed by one of his abusers is like, such a fucking like, I felt gut punched by Disney LucasArts. It's like, the tr- treatment of that character. I'm like, I, I have so much to say about it. It's oh, not good. Oh my <laughs> it's God. sad. It is, though. It is. Like, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, that would make me cry. That would make me cry. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, you've got this tragic character who never really, I don't know, never really gets to the end of his journey, right? It feels cut short in this way that's just so unfair. That's yeah. so unfair. So, I mean, thank God for fan fiction, right? That we get to, like, explore these things past the the tragic endings, which, you know, I feel like I've been in enough fandoms where I've seen this before, where they give these tragic, like, villains these really compelling backstories, and they, they're actually really interesting, complex characters. And then they just end up giving them these like magnanimous deaths that just are like, like you said, it's a gut punch. But it also feels so unfair because you feel like had this person, had this character been given a chance to live, something different could have happened. And that's that's Ginger Pilot. I think that's the appeal of it. Like I, I've talked so much about Hugs, I didn't even get to Ginger Pilot. But yeah, it's like Ginger Pilot is Poe Dameron being like, if Hux is like, this well of sadness and like trauma and like anger then poe dameron is like the opposite he's like the light who can see like the good in a character like that like so i think that a lot of my stories are like healing stories and that's that's really the dynamic that i think drives that ship it's like it started off as like this offhand funny comment and then in movie three there's also the scene where hux is like i'm the spy to it's finn and poe and chewy and poe just immediately goes i knew it and everyone ran with that too like why did poe know that (laughs) didn't actually know it (laughs) i was gonna ask you because we were talking before we were recording and i was telling you that I saw these modern Star Wars movies exactly one time each. That's Me it. too. Right? <laughs> Me too. So I like, and there, it was such a long time ago that I saw them that I literally don't remember. I have this vague memory of what Hux looks like. I know who Dameron Poe is because like Oscar Isaac, let's be real. Yes. But like, I couldn't remember as I was reading your fan fiction. I was like, I don't remember how much of this is canon. So, like, is it canon that he turns and spies? He for does. The New he does. That's his whole arc in the third movie. He, okay, like, so that's real. <laughs> he spies. Yeah. So, and like, there's interpretations of why he spied, and I think in the movie. No, I know in the movie, he um has just freed Chewie, and Poe and Finn have come to save Chewie, and he's getting them off the Star Destroyer that they've been captured on. And Finn asks him why, like, why did he, why did he spy? And Huck says, because he doesn't want Kylo, he just wants Kylo Ren to lose. And it's, it's such a, it's spiteful. And in that respect, it goes with his character, like this kind of revenge thing, because he 
canonically takes revenge of at least one of his abusers in the past. But like, also, it just doesn't jive with this character at all. Like he's he's dealt with Kylo Ren for three movies now. And as much as Kylo Ren has been a thorn in his backside, he like Hux has never really like cared that much. He's always been able to outmaneuver Ren in any every way. So like just the go to those lengths to make him lose when the first order is his life at this point. He's like he's so dedicated to it. He wouldn't throw them under the bus just to like spite Kylo Ren. Yeah. That seems sloppy, like a sloppy handling of what was really going on with him. Although I suppose in the moment you could write it off and just be like, well, he didn't really want to say, so he just threw out some stupid answer. But yeah, that sounds so sloppy. But um, that's so interesting, though, that that's like that's canon. I love that that actually happened. But then it also, like, makes me even more sad, I think, for the fact that they decide to kill him in canon, too. Yeah. Because, like, ugh, you're telling me that he has this, like, moment of conscious, right? Or, um, like, his conscious is like, oh, like, <laughs> something is not right here, right? So I'm going to go through these extraordinary lengths to, like, betray my own side. Yeah. Right? And we all know that it wasn't some, some stupid reason, like, revenge on Kylo Ren. Because let's be real, like Kylo Ren's not worth that. Okay, like, it's not he's, not, he's not. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's gonna be Kylo Ren fans listening to this, and they're gonna be like, "Yeah, sorry, Raylos. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry." But like, it's just how I feel about Kylo Ren. But um, but yeah, like the fact that he would go through all the trouble of that. And then they kill him anyway. Like, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. Yes. And like, the, the, like, heroes didn't take him with them. They could have taken him. Like, and like, they could have taken him and thrown him in jail. Like, how much more compelling of a storyline would that be? Like, let's make, let's make this guy actually accountable for like all the like atrocities he's committed. No, no, we're just gonna like the guy who basically saved our lives and won us this war because they were losing at the end of the last jedi like they they're they had no army like the new republic was like gone like i mean hux blew them up so (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's that yeah he almost won the star wars (laughs) (laughs) almost won oh my god but yeah they left him behind the heroes left their spy behind they did not i do not agree with that yeah no they would stricken from the record that is so heinous they would have dragged that guy on board like you know it (laughs) well that's the thing that's the thing is like the mishandling sometimes i'm just like really but again like thank god for fan fiction thank god because like uh you guys come in you swoop in like caped heroes and you just take these characters who deserved so much better and you hold them so gently in the palms of your hands and do wonderful things with them. Your fan fiction, oh my God. Oh my God. Um, it's called The Things We Deserve. I don't want to talk about it because... Like, Let's do it. <laughs> oh, it was so good. It was so good. First of all, I mean, like, I could wax poetic about, like, just how beautifully executed this was. Beautifully written. Um, one of the things I personally don't do well when it comes to writing is I have a really hard time, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like incorporating the emotional like resonance of a story or the emotional like journey of a character 
into a story and the way that you did this. It looked so effortless, and I'm sure it was not. I'm sure that this, <laughs> you know, is like very artfully and carefully done when you're, you know, doing your thing. But I just remember like reading this and going, oh my God, like just for the emotional journey of what's going on here with Hux, like totally worth it. So good. So beautiful. I can't. I Aww. totally can't. It's so Thank good. you. So I actually did pull a couple of lines here that I'm hoping I'll get to as we um, continue our conversation here. But I'm kind of wondering if like, what can you tell us about uh, like what inspired the story? What is it about? And then I, I was hoping that you could talk to us a little bit about maybe what specific themes you were trying to explore here with this particular fic. Absolutely. It's a uh, so in Star Wars, there's a holiday called Life Day, which is like it's kind of like a cross between Christmas and New Year's for them. And I think I, I want to say it's what race is Chewbacca? <laughs> He's a Wookiee, right? That's a, it's like a I think it's a Wookiee holiday, but the newer the Republic is kind of like adopted as their own. I might be making that up. Someone don't, no one fact check me. Just, it's real. <laughs> Just roll with it. Let's yeah. go there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Christmas and I'm in the holiday mood. And like, I hated Christmas up until like, I think I moved out of my parents' house and I got to celebrate Christmas on my own terms. And then I loved it. So I'm like, I'm going to write a life day fic because it's just like that time of the year. It seems great. And then literally that story just poured out of me. You you say it took a lot of effort, and I, I guess maybe it did, but literally it's one of those stories that wrote itself. And when you encounter those, it just comes out of you. Very little, like, going back and editing. I think I added maybe a couple scenes when I was doing my revisions, but, like, it literally wrote itself. It was, like, a story oh, that needed to be told. One of those magical things yes. that just kind of poured out. Yes. Oh, I love that. And, like, I feel like one of the strengths of my writing is probably, like, the emotional side. I It's why I, like... It's why I read like I love world building and like plot and stuff, but like I'm there for the characters and their journey. So like I, I just write for myself, you know, and that's what I want out of a story is this emotional journey of healing. And like every single story of Hux that I write is this emotional healing. It's probably every single story I write at all, because like you, I love villains and they need just so much love. Like so many of them, their problems would be fixed if someone just loved them. Like I believe yes, that. Uh, so fully. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can we stop for just a second and acknowledge that? Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Love heals everything. It's so true. I know that that sounds so trite to so many people, right? Like <laughs> love, whatever. But like, there is this strong part of me that believes that. For reals, though. Yes. For reals. <laughs> like, if somebody had just loved them. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been different. Yeah. The world would have been better. They wouldn't have blown up nine planets. They would have... <laughs> oh, I've listened to the... Um, I want to, like, go off on a tangent, but I did listen to the um snack episode because severus snape is like part of my heart like he's another one of these characters who just like had he been loved <laughs> i think he was he found some love eventually in his life but it was like too little too late because dumbledore is a fucking asshole and he was like the only one who <laughs> <Yeah>. cared <laughs> that was like a manipulative kind of love yeah i mean better than nothing but still nothing. kind of fucked up <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like yeah it's like so many of these villains that were were given are like 
giving these tragic backstories. And I'm just like, obviously, they just needed someone to like, come hug them and be like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to do this. We can, we can um, figure this out together. And like, that never happens. (laughs) It doesn't, (laughs) except in fan fiction. And perhaps that's why I feel like so satisfied with stories like yours, because this is like literally the story that you wrote, right? Like this is like Hux's redemption story where somebody goes out of their way to love him. Yeah. And it changes everything. And I love the, like, when you put characters like that in that position, like their resistance from that, because the moment you become vulnerable and accept what's happening is the moment it all gets torn away from you. It's like that trust. They don't they don't have that trust to accept it. And like that dealing with that is such a compelling story to me. Like you can't just offer them the hug. It's like they have to accept it. And like getting them to accept it is the whole journey. And it's beautiful when it works out because there's so much humanity, I feel like, in that we all just, I think are aching for someone to like kind of come in and and see something from our point of view and not completely dismiss it and be like, there's, there's value in what you've experienced, but also like when it's problematic, it's like, I can show you like a way out. Like they need the way out that or it's so sad. (laughs) Well, yeah. And sometimes I think you need somebody to accept you where you're at. Yeah. I feel like there have been times in my life where I needed someone to accept me exactly where I was at. And once that happened, I was able to pull myself out. Yes. Because somebody loved me exactly the way that I was. And it inspired me to want to be better. And I almost feel like that's what happened here. Yeah. In your fic with Hux. Like, Poe goes out of his way, right? To be like, hey, man, you're worth it. Like, I know that you're angry right now and you don't want to accept this but I'm going to do this anyway. And it's almost like, I don't know, accepting him exactly where he was. Yes, he did. And that's what he needed. He did, but then Hux wasn't ready yet. Like he, Poe was like that, but but Hux wasn't at the point to accept it. And so like, yeah, that was was the journey part. He had to do his own healing on his own terms, but like, I don't think he would have been able to achieve that if, like you said, like Poe hadn't, been able to love him despite him changing like like or in in spite of it like poe loved him no matter what and hux didn't have to change in order for poe to love him but hux knew i think enough about himself at that point that he had to do some work on himself in order to get to the point that poe was at like you have to love yourself before someone else can love you yeah and i think that that like those two things are the things that strike me the most about your fic And that's one of the reasons why I love them so much. You give us this Hux that, like, is very consciously aware of his own failings and shortcomings. You know, like, Mm -hmm. this was such a fantastic introduction to Hux for me. Because I'm, even though I've seen the movies once, you know, like, I feel so unfamiliar with this character. And the way that you just took us through his entire thought process throughout this entire story. I left this fic feeling like I knew him so deeply on this like, oh. like level, right? Where I was just like, oh my God, you really do take us through those places in Huck's life where he just thinks awful things about himself. And you can see 
because of how well you wrote this, like you can just see how this stemmed from an abusive childhood into like this environment where, like you said, he was fighting for his life, you know, basically through the ranks of the, you know, of the empire and everything. And, and you can tell the things that he says to himself <laughs> throughout this story, those things are with him. And they're like weighing him down and they influence everything that he thinks and influence like his entire perspective on everything. And he knows on some level that it's not healthy. So he knows on some level because there's this point in your story where Poe kind of tries to take things to the next level, I think, with Hux. And like you said, he's not ready. And I think he says something like, you know, I've killed so many people. I can't possibly kill one more like I recognize that I'm not healthy enough for this right now which I really appreciated that right because it, it would have been so easy to just let them get together at that point and be like haha because, happy yeah but you didn't do that and I was so grateful yeah he's gotta earn it no we got we have to earn it we can't just get there yes. <laughs> there's no satisfaction in that <laughs> yes you let him like kind of run off from that situation so that he had the opportunity to better himself and to get to that healthy place or that healthier place anyway um and i really appreciated that i thought that was beautiful oh thank you i think there's a lot of i mean there's just the trauma that hux has gone through there's there's no eliminating it like you're not gonna be able to He's like 37 or six or something, I think, in the canon story. So like at this point, it's just like it is it's been his life. There's no getting rid of the trauma that he's experienced. So but learning to live with it is is the battle for him and learning to love himself and then be able to accept love from others. is just something he's never really had the opportunity to have before. He's been fighting for survival his entire life. And so when that is kind of taken away from a character like that when survival is no longer, you know, first and foremost in in your life. It's like you're kind of forced to confront everything else. And he's, but he's a smart guy. He's he's not emotionally unaware of himself. So like, you're able to take him through that journey and and get these really satisfying results from it because he as broken as he could be he's he's really not he's like persevered through all of this and so but dumping him into it's like a holiday pic <laughs> you're like so warm and cozy and fuzzy but then you have this guy who's like not <laughs> i know I the dichotomy of that <laughs> but like as i'm sitting there reading his emotional like I don't know. It's so funny. I I hesitate to call it emotional torture, but he's kind of like struggling a little bit. You know, the whole experience is like this emotional struggle for him. But the thing that I appreciated so much is that he showed up. Yes. You know, he didn't have to do that. He, he didn't have to be there. He could have just been like, no, thank you. I'm not going to a cabin to celebrate the holidays with you people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But the fact that he knew that this was going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. He knew that. He was ready for it. He was finally ready. He showed up. Yes. You know, and sometimes in life, that's what we have to do. Sometimes that is all we can do is just show up. And he did. And I thought that that was just fantastic. I was in love <laughs> with how you handled the, the way that you did the differing timelines here. Because you have these, like, 
differing timelines depending on which section is coming up in the story. So you're either in the past or you're in the present celebrating the holiday. And that just did something for this story that just, holy shit, like it blew it out of the water in this beautiful emotional way that I am having a really hard time, like apparently explaining right now. (laughs) I just wanted to tell you how effective it was. It was amazing. Did you know right off the bat that that was how you were going to structure the story? I think I don't think I knew anything. I just started writing it and it was. Oh, shit. (laughs) I know. I feel bad. No, I like I want to say I planned that all out. I was like, no, literally, that's just that's how the story wanted to be written. I so that's such a fucking cop out of an answer. I don't know. That's like I said before, that story wrote itself. Like, I don't think I'll ever write anything as satisfying as that story gets. Probably my magnum opus. I wrote this stupid Star Wars holiday fic, and it was like my most favorite thing I've ever written. But maybe one day I'll surpass it. But for right now, <laughs> it's like it. That's me. Which it's is so project. hilarious that it is like a holiday fic because most people just kind of pump those out as a funny, like little fuck you, you know, yeah. kind of a thing. Um, it's like the but... the like. <laughs> The summary for the fic is like Poe feeding Huck's cookie dough, and then you go in it. I know, like, I know. Punch of like an emotional. When journey I like, read what? that summary, I was literally expecting some little fluffy like, and they made hot chocolate together and lived happily and ever like, after. What is she I was not me? expecting you to like gut punch me in the heart. <laughs> so thank you for that, but really no, thank you because uh, it was like. It's it's one of those fics, y'all, that you can read in like a, an evening. You know, this is a technically it's a this is a one shot. It is yeah. technically. I mean, it's a long one shot, but uh, you can finish it in an evening. And oh my god, you know, just wow, wow. Like for instance, okay, hold on a second. Well, first of all, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I, I I pulled like some some different places where I was like, oh my god, fuck me. I actually wrote fuck me <laughs> on this one right here. Um, the part where like he's in his room contemplating Poe's leather bomber jacket. What you did with that fucking jacket. Like I am in awe of this. Like I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's several paragraphs long. But I just wanted to tell you it was genius. And it like got me right in the heart. Oh. <laughs> the way that you the, what you did with this leather jacket. Like I am just in awe of that. But then there's this other fuck me line where, you know, Huck's kind of talking about, what does he say here? Oh, okay. I don't remember what section this is from, but it's beautiful. I think I'm going to read this out. So I'm sorry. I know I told you I wasn't going to read from your Go for it. No, I've had enough wine now. I'm good. Um, So it goes like this. It goes, and when he tells all this to Finn, he listens with a tilt to his head, a purse to his lips and a softening of his eyes that speak volumes to the work he has achieved at the center, where no one is too broken to be fixed, let alone a former general of the First Order who has killed billions and is desperately afraid of destroying one more. Oh my God, fuck me, right? Like, so good. So good. Um, But I love that because it just shows you, like, it's one of those progress bits, right, in the story where you're like, man, Huss has made some progress here. He's made some progress and he's doing good things. And yes, his life is still messed up and he's still emotionally fucked up. But like, there's some progress here. It was beautiful to see. And this fic is just full of these beautiful lines. I was wondering if you have 
a favorite line because I was only able to pull so many oh, uh, before I just kind of let myself sink into the story. I was like, you have to stop now. Um, That's one of them. That's definitely one of them. There's also one when they're having sex. <laughs> I would kind of pull up the thing. But oh, my like, God. Pray tell. It's pray tell. Like he, I don't want to like recite my own story, but I almost have this one. <laughs> I just, let, let's take a second. I'm going to find it. Hold on. It was a fabulous sex scene, by the way. It was so tame comparatively. If you read any of my other work, it's all porn. Like literally, this is a story with so much plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like the payoff porn scene was so great. I'm glad. Oh my God, I can't read this one out loud. It's too. You're like I cannot. I can't. But I it's, cannot. It's it. It's the one that starts. Hux rises more slowly than he descended, which is like a throwback to the Star Destroyer falling in the very beginning of the fic, and like him like rising up out of that wreckage. But he's like riding those cocks. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I will take profound like poetry where I can get it, even if it's in the middle of a porn scene. Um, yeah, no, for reals though, guys, like that scene is beautiful. So it sounds like maybe that was one of your, like, I'm sure there were lots of things that were your favorite to write in here, but that sounds like one of them that was very enjoyable yeah. and fun for you. <laughs> I got here because of porn. The only reason I write is because I need smut. So I gotta, I gotta pay it its dues. There's there's always more going on in my smut than just, you know, titillizing, you know, fun. Yeah, but well, that's what I appreciate, though. Porn with feelings. I'll never get over it. So good. <laughs> so good. Um. Okay, so now that we know that you wrote this, it, this was totally pants. This was not, like, I know, planned. It was. Right? It just kind of happened. That begs the question, though, since this whole thing was kind of a surprise. Were there any, was there any particular scene or part that surprised you the most? Oh, okay. One part that I wasn't, the counseling, him becoming a counselor at Finn Center. Really? Yeah, that took me by, it just suddenly wrote itself out. And I was like, wait, wait, what, what? And then I was like, oh, wait, this works. Yes. So that, that is like, but like, it goes with Hux's character because he cares so much about the First Order that like, all of these people who are kind of trying to like the first older order, like really essentially was a cult. Like they were raised by the remnants of the empire, but like they never had a home. There was never a planet. There was never a base. They were raised on these like star destroyers and like deep space, like cut off from everybody. And everything in the first order was like, isolated to their survival in the like the rim and so he really is like coming out of a cult along with everybody else in the first order so finn's running the center where he's kind of trying to you know work through it's it's for the first order like former first order members and they're addressing everything from like becoming like uh, what's the word when you get like uh, assimilated into like New Republic society and all that, but also like the the trauma, the like leftover trauma of being being a member of a cult. Like I was brainwashed for however many years. So like a lot of Hux's um, healing took place in him being a counselor. Like and like was he qualified to be a counselor? Probably not. But 
<laughs> well, I w- see, and I would argue that he was, though. I mean, as someone who left a cult-like organization in real life, I know that there's a lot of deconstruction that has to happen after you make that decision to leave. And so, like, Hux being a part of that organization with them is the only one. He's the only one that can help them deconstruct that. Yeah. Because he knows. He knows there's, like, this peculiar culture, a peculiar language within that structure that only he would be able to understand. And I think that that's perfect. That's so funny that that was a surprise that he was just like, oh, by the way, I'm a counselor (laughs) at this center. But then when you think about the things that you've told us already about Hux's backstory, though, and how he was so profoundly influenced by his mentor, I can see how he would want to, I don't know, pay that forward or be that for somebody else because he already has that experience of how profound that was for him in his own life. Um, And he doesn't really seem like the kind of guy that would just want to sit around and retire. Not at all. And do nothing for the rest of his life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So now he's helping people deconstruct. And I think that that's beautiful. So, yeah, the fic is just, I think that everybody should read it. It's amazing. Um, We have about 10 minutes here left. I know. We've been talking and just having so much fun here. Um, But I cannot let us end without talking about your experience with writing original fic. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Original fic. I can't believe I just called it that. It's still fanfic. It's just... Well, (laughs) (laughs) I meant original novel. No, you know what I'm saying? It's literally like... (laughs) Yeah. But that's so exciting, first of all, right? Like, so exciting that you were able to do that. Um, you had sent me a little um, a little email earlier this week, kind of like talking a little bit about your experience doing that. And it sounds so compelling and so interesting. So I wanted to save the last 10 minutes here so you can talk about that experience. What has that been like? What has it been like kind of going through the whole process of submitting your stuff to these different editors and different agents and things like that? I just want to hear everything about it. It has been a terrible experience. <laughs> it, it has been. Talk about death of the ego. Okay, so like publishing during the pandemic, everybody wrote their pandemic novel. So, and also the publishing industry has seen this enormous upheaval in their own right, like unrelated to authors all suddenly writing, you know, their their novels because everyone got their lives shook up. Like so many people lost their jobs. They had all this time at home. They wrote their pandemic novels. That's literally what they call it. That's what publishing calls them. Their pandemic novels. Oh, interesting. Yes. Oh, I never thought about yes. that. Unfortunately, I worked throughout the pandemic and I wrote more than ever. And the last thing I wrote was my original novel. I wrote so much fanfic and I feel like that got me, you know, in the the habit and everything of, of writing that I was finally able to like knock out an original novel. But um querying you so when you write in a, something original you have a book so they call it a manuscript and then you have to find an agent and the agent is the middleman between you and the big publishers and so everyone's goal is to there's big five publishers which are like it's like penguin and like simon schuster or they might be gone i don't know it's, it's changed so much people have bought other people they're like this, like monster of itself like 
kind of eating its own children. <laughs> it's oh, eating its own tail it there. So yeah. I, I couldn't even name mm-hmm. the big five. But anyway, you need an agent to get access to them. So you query your manuscript to agents. Does that mean just sending it to yes, them? Yes, you submit it when they're open. So many are not open, but you submit to everyone who's open. You essentially just like shit out your manuscript. You have to write a um a query, which is a whole, it's kind of like the back copy of a novel, but you put it in like a letter. So you have your metadata where you choose comparable novels that kind of relate to yours in some way. So like, and then you, you do your back cover copy and then like a little blurb about yourself at the end. And no one, no one. They're all chasing, like all the agents are chasing what the publishers want to publish. Like they have their next couple of years, they they know what they want. Like what what holes are they filling? So so much of it is just luck and it's just a wall of rejection. So much rejection. And it's made exponentially worse now because there's so many people querying and there's actually less editors than ever at publishing houses because of all the upheaval that publishing has seen. So it's it's just a really it's a really toxic environment right now. And like I mentioned, like death of of the ego. That's like what I experienced. Like I came out of writing fanfic and I was like, I'm confident in my abilities. Like I know I can connect with people. I've I've basically dumped almost a million words in like two years into fix so like I've gotten the bad words out like I'm I know I wrote something good like decent like good enough to be um you know put out in the world but like my god I can't tell you I was like I I was having panic attacks by the end of the summer I had experienced my first panic attack ever because of the amount of rejection and it's not just rejection with like reason like I this didn't connect with me for these reasons it's just flat out no's because these agents are just so overwhelmed that they don't have time to like give you feedback whereas if had you queried five six seven years ago you would be getting feedback on why you were being rejected now it's just literal like you don't you're lost you're rudderless in an ocean it's a terrible experience and i'm so like lucky it's luck i really feel like i know so many talented i've met so many talented authors through this process that that's been like the one light at the end of the tunnel like you've formed relationships and your shared trauma of querying that they're you know made friends and you can share this experience with them but like i'm i'm one of the lucky ones who got out of it and like i'm publishing with a small press which is like i'm gonna have a better experience with my first novel with them because like you get one-on-one attention it's they're they only take on a few um i think it's like two authors a year they sign so you get like i'm gonna have a really great experience with them and i'm gonna learn a lot and like it's it's very exciting i'm like I'm over the moon. Like I got this deal. Like you're going to get an experience that is, it's not like you're going to be with a big publishing house who's putting out 250 books a year. It's like they only put out two or three books a year. So they really have to believe in you to take you on. And then that's what I think really saved the experience for me. Cause like at that point it was so much rejection. Then you find the one person who actually believes in your story and are just as excited about it as you are. And that's, that feeling is incomparable. But I have written my novel as um 
it is a villain point of view. The novel is called The Crack of the Heart of Everything, and it follows a dark wizard. He's like the evil sorcerer from a fantasy novel that we all know, who the Empire has won their war, and all because of him, because he summoned an army from hell to win the war for his empress. But in the process of summoning that army, he like it, it cursed him to death. So he's dealing with this death curse that was trying to kill him, and it's like the empress who's his best friend it's like his childhood best friend is just like she's just trying to run her empire now and his death curse is such a nuisance in the palace that she oh, kicks him out God. and banishes him into the world that he is held conquered yeah and he, what? <laughs> and he suddenly has to confront like all the awful stuff he has had a hand in so he has this moral reckoning and his love interest because it's a fantasy romance is the um the dethroned general of the human army because he you know suddenly is unnecessary now that the empress has her undead hell army so that's the love interest and he tags along on the banishment because apparently he has nothing better to do anymore (laughs) but meanwhile he's been planning a coup against the empress for the last several years because he's already gone through that moral reckoning and realized how much damage and problems they've they've caused the empire or the empress has essentially and he tries to recruit the sorcerer into his his um coup and he's not at that point yet he's still figuring it out so that's the novel (laughs) it's it is everything i love in fanfic it's it's got the the villain redemption it has the steamy swoony romance it has the the moral like questions and the gray areas that do they get answered do they not get answered i won't say gotta read the novel (laughs) (laughs) exactly we can't spoil it for anybody that sounds amazing i absolutely have to read that when it comes out (laughs) it sounds amazing you were telling me a little bit in your email about how acquisition lists for these publishers have been changing? Oh, uh, yes. So, like, that was one thing. Like, I've been asking, I've had several meetings with editors, with the publishers, and I've I've been asking them all at the end of these conversations. I don't want to lead with it, but um, I'm like, fanfic, like, what is, like, what is happening with that? Because I'm, for so long, you hear people deleting their ao3 like works their their handles it's like they take everything down when they go decide to transition to original fic they like basically delete their entire um fandom history and i'm like what's i'm i refuse i would never do that so there's been a shift in the last 10 years about like back in 2012 had you been querying this you probably would have had that experience where a publisher would ask you to remove all evidence of your fandom presence from the internet but now it's like they're actually chasing fanfic and like you've seen it like there's authors that we can name i mean naomi novick wrote fic and like i know she tried to keep it on the dl but she comes out all the time because she's one of the founders of ao3 like i i but like her she she was keeping her identity her fandom identity separate from her original novels because of these very reasons and but we've seen it more and more. I think um, the love hypothesis was a Raylo fic, and that's been incredibly popular. So, like now, publishers recognize that these fanfic authors 
Not only do they have, in a lot of cases, a built-in audience that already exists, but it's like, this is what people are seeking out. So they're recognizing finally the value in it. But just as we've seen with like, we had the conversation about pro shippers and the evolution. It's like, there is like the question of like, publishers now recognizing the value of these kind of stories. It's like, I feel like I've had this conversation with other writer friends who are pursuing publication, professional publication, where they're of the mind that like, fanfic is always going to be isolated from original because like, the like coffee shop, you know, AU and like the, the, the soul bond, like AU, it's like, these kinds of the tropiness yes. of the yeah <laughs> and they're i believe naively feeling like these are isolated to fanfic circles and i'm like no like they're gonna th- this is what if publishing wants that they're gonna find it and maybe that's part of the reason why my story got picked up because it does follow a lot of these tropes intentionally. Like that's what I wanted because I want to see that in the world. Like I read more fanfic than I do novels because I want that I'm chasing those kinds of tropes. And so I think finally publishing is, is picking up on that. And how will that impact fandom? I don't, I don't know. Like I, I I would imagine that, it's only going to bolster it. That's what my hope would be. Like more people in in fandom will maybe be discovered. Like people, I think now it's really popular, not popular, but it's really common for agents to go after self-published authors who have really good sales. Um, In romance, in that genre, it's really easy to be seen because romances had a bad rap in everybody's mind. It's like the bodice rippers, right? (laughs) They're like, <laughs> but everybody <laughs> oh wants it. Everyone secretly loves romance. And then fandom, it's like, it's front and center. It's all romance. Oh, yeah. We make no compunction yeah. about that whatsoever. <laughs> you know, we have seen them fall in love a thousand times and we will watch them do it I again. I will read yeah. a fucking like romance, fix it, soul bond soulmate (laughs) over and over again the more the better but yeah so it's like publishing is finally caught on to that and they're chasing that so like it's validating in a lot of ways it's the unknown of it is a little maybe concerning like I don't want us to just be a fad but at the same time you hear so many complaints on the querying side of authors like everybody wants fantasy romance like that is what's hot right now like if you have a fantasy romance like now is the time to query your novel because that's all publishers want to sign and so like i think there's a fear that like it's kind of overwhelming the industry that there's gonna be a this influx of fantasy romance trash <laughs> which i'm like is there anything oh else it's all God. i read <laughs> but- <laughs> well i was just gonna say like i'm not on tiktok right now because i'm just at that age where i'm like well, i don't need one more social media on my phone but um people post a lot of like book talk videos on instagram and i do have instagram So that is what I see a lot of. And maybe that's the algorithm just trying to like shove things down my throat or whatever. 
But that's what I'm seeing is everywhere is these like book talk, TikTok videos. And they're all about the romance, like fantasy romance novels and the ones that are super popular and everybody's talking about them and blah, blah, blah. And that is so interesting to me because when I'm watching these, when I'm watching these videos, they're using a lot of the same language to describe the plots of these books. They're using fandom language to do it. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And I'm like, what is happening? What is happening? Like, you know, they're actually using our trope language to talk about these novels. And it did kind of like, that's why this intrigued me so much when I got your email, because I was like, oh, I've seen that in these TikTok videos about these novels that are coming out that everyone's like crazed over. They do seem to be adopting fandom terms for these storytelling techniques, which I think is fascinating. They absolutely are. And it's, I think, like, where do you point the finger, though? Is it the publisher? Is it the the TikTok creator? Like, because they are tapped into fandom? Is it the author who is coming out of a fandom who this is how they already interpret their story? It's just the the lines are being blurred. And I I both love it. And I'm like, nervous about how it's like not nervous but I'm curious I guess to see how it evolves like is it a fad like is this just going to be like the next couple years of publishing is like them experimenting with mimicking these stories that are so popular in fandom or is this like the longevity that we'll see with like a genre developing like romances the genres kind of always been this you know beautiful woman meets this burly man and like but now it could it could be so much more and and will romance as the genre developer will the genre come out of it or is this just going to burn itself out when publishers aren't able to recreate the like rabidness of like a fandom's you know community because i i do feel like that is part of it they see how fandoms can become so energized over intellectual property that they are chasing that that's kind of what i see like why it's becoming popular like why these genres are becoming popular why they're signing these kinds of books or why they're specifically even going after fanfic writers which i've heard multiple instances i think I brought the love hypothesis earlier, but I think she was approached on through her AO3 work by an agent who was like, how do you feel about adapting this into an original story to like pitch sub the publishers? Like, I think I'm pretty sure that's how that book came about. So it's just it's unknown. It's it's this unknown wild west of a, a world right now where like if you were on the fence about writing your fic, I'd say go write it because you don't know who's going to freaking see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, though. That's so true. And I love I love this like curiosity that you have about this. I have the same curiosity. And I feel like as I think about it right now in this moment, of course, these things can change, right? Because you're right. We don't know what's going to happen. But like, I don't know. I feel like it almost goes back to that generational thing we were talking about earlier. When I think about my parents' generation, I have tried to explain the concept of fan fiction to my parents 
many times. I've never actually told them what my involvement is in fan fiction. I've just tried to explain the concept to them. And they know I do a podcast about fan fiction. But every time that they try to describe my show to other people that they know, they cannot describe what I do because they just can't remember. <laughs> it's not something that they grew up with. And they're just like, ah, we think it's stories about anime. And I was like, stories about anime? Like, that's what you got out of my explanation about fan fiction? You must have been a nerd. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I mean that lovingly with, like, all my heart. Exactly. We were, yes, nerd for sure, 100%. <laughs> but then, like, you, you come right into the millennial stuff as an elder millennial, and you sound like an elder millennial as well. Um, you know, right? Like we were teenagers when we, you know, kind of got into the whole fandom thing. And so like it was just starting to become this like online pervasive thing. But then you start talking to I've been able to talk to lots of people in Gen Z at this point for the show. Um, my sister, my little baby sister's Gen Z. And the ages of these people when they first discovered fan fiction. Like we're talking about people who were in middle school who were like writing fan fiction with their friends at the lunch table, you know, like stuff that you and me would have never dreamed of when we were in middle school or high yeah. school. Well, we didn't even have the internet in like middle school, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm just kind of wondering, like in a generational sense, when you have a whole generation of like Gen Z people who literally like fan fiction is all they've known and they're like, so familiar with these tropes and these concepts that it just becomes part of the like the ethos of what they look for now in their stories and it's what they've come to expect in storytelling i don't know i don't see how that's going to change anytime soon for any of the upcoming generations what is it after gen z is it gen it's gen alpha isn't it i just don't see any of these other like up and coming generations having any less of an, a fandom experience than what we're seeing right now because they're gonna ex you know discover fan fiction in middle school just like <laughs> gen z did and it's just gonna be this thing now and like if that's what you're used to right if that's what you grow up with your whole life that's what you're gonna yeah. be looking for yeah isn't it so like in that sense i don't know my crazy brain is like, no, I, I think this might be here to stay for I'm a while. here for it because that's how, <laughs> like, I, w I, I came from writing fic. I wrote my original novel as if it was, like, another fic that I wanted to see in the world. And, like, those tropes that kind of, it was funny. I was, my, my best friend from high school, when I told her that I was getting signed, I told her about what we spoke about about how fantasy romance is like super hot right now it's all people want to sign and the, there was silence on the other end of the phone i'm like sarah are you there and she's like is there something other than fantasy romance it's just because and this was like with her whole chest she said this because it's like all she's ever read <laughs> she's like is there another genre <laughs> like fantasy romance? right duh I'm like, duh I'm like, Duh. thank God yeah. for you. because <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I would not be surprised if, like, the, the genres change from time to time. Like, I know that the fantasy romance is hot right now. We'll probably see other stuff that pops up. But I think that the, the effect that fan fiction is having on the public space is going to remain 
I think that the tropes that people are using to draw people in, we're still we're going to see that and we're going to see it more and more and more. So it will be interesting to see how the genres change and how like different interests come into people's heads and stuff. But I just wouldn't be surprised if fan fiction writers keep coming up in these publishing spaces and stuff in major ways, which is super exciting. I think think it is. I would be over the moon to see some of my favorite authors, fanfic authors, like make that transition and to do it publicly. Cause I think it's important to be one of these people who like kind of paves the way who like, cause like us coming from that shame that we talked about, it's like seeing like people like Naomi Novik and, and everyone like, make that transition and then to be respected in the professional sphere it it's it's energizing and and takes away from some of that baggage that we've been carrying since our younger years where it's like though this isn't of any value but it is it is and suddenly to have that recognized by the publishing industry is is like validating in so many ways it is It is. The more that we all step out of the shadows, right, in small little ways, it helps all of us. It really does. It does something for the community. And I think that that's amazing. So I so appreciate you being willing to go there with me and talk about your experience with the publishing and your novel. And I'm so excited. Do we have a publishing date yet? No, not yet. I only signed two weeks ago, so it's very fresh. Oh my God, that's so exciting. If you follow my Viraja handles, I will announce it over there. I'm like... I'm not going to give out. I mean, I think I said the title of my book already. So if you if you want to chase it down, you probably could. But um, yeah, I'll definitely announce on my on my fandom handle and when it's going to be out in the world. Awesome. So that means that everybody needs to go uh, follow Viraja yes. on uh, social media so that we know when the novel drops and we can totally check that out and support you because I think that that's so exciting. So, you know, congratulations again from me and from everybody. That's just so cool. So we have been like talking <laughs> for a long time. Um, this has been so much fun. The last thing that we always do on the show is I give you the opportunity to shout out other fan fiction writers if you have any that you want to shout out and talk about real quick. So close friend of mine, she has written a ginger pilot epic that does a deep dive into first order, the first order as a whole, which is amazing. So if you are at all interested she handles politics first order she has so much more star wars lore knowledge than i do she puts me to shame but it's sourlander and she's wrote better man and it's a ginger pilot like it's like i think it's longer than my epic it's like 300 words but you will it flies by it's amazing it's such a great story and then also if you want to have your heart torn out of your chest it's a canon compliant ginger pilot journey that ends where canonically hux's journey ends so if you know that he dies so warning he dies in this fic but it's so worth it it's sweet sue sparrows not for nothing that was an amazing one and then finally there's an unfinished story that i am obsessed with and the author Ms. lolly willows um she i attribute her to getting me into this fandom i read her story five miles out and i'm like it's one of the most gorgeous stories i've ever read in fandom and like i think we only got like 15 chapters and even though it's unfinished every single one of them is worth it because she's just an incredible author and her story like 
I'm just grateful to have what we got of it. Go read that. Ms. Lolly Willow's Five Miles Out. Just even though it's unfinished, it's worth every word. So those are those are my three favorite ginger pilot fics. Oh, perfect. Okay. We'll put links up in the show notes so that people can find those because, uh, you know, I know that um, I was very interested now in this whole Hux thing after reading your fic. Like that kind of just, <laughs> you know, it's right up my alley. So I'm going to be checking those out. And I hope that everybody else does too. And of course, everybody go find Viraja stuff too, because, oh my God, the things we deserve. So beautiful. Viraja, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking to us about everything under the sun. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. I've had so much fun. Check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter, I guess it's X now, at fanficmaverick. And uh, I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. Rolling.